We ask, Heavenly Father, now that as we turn to your word, that we would capture a glimpse of your glory and that we would hear you speak to us by your Holy Spirit as we look at your word. And we ask it for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We are up to week six of our journey through 1 Kings, as we look at chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. And you can get talk notes online at docs.jambrewanglican.com if you wish, or just use the paper version if you happen to be here in church. We are here tonight under extraordinary circumstances. In our living memory, we've never had a time when the powers from above have said, don't meet for church. These are extraordinary days. These are extraordinary moments. Who said that and when? It was me, 51 weeks ago. As I stood there on a box of stuff, and then the week after that, uh, John Stuckey helped me. We banged it all together to make a little stage that sat over there so we could use that big screen there as the corner. But it was quite a thing. We thought it might wait, you know, maybe a couple of months. We'll get it all out of the way. But here we are today, and things are still not quite back to normal, are they? Over the last 12 months, we've downloaded Zoom, and we've learned how to do school and work and even church from little screens. And although we've been together, we've been apart. And although we've been apart, we've been together, together apart. And I think all of this has really made us appreciate things that we took for granted, like going to church. I still remember the first week that we were allowed to have 10 parishioners in the church. And I invited specific people. I said, would you come back this week, maybe? And I remember Di coming forward and leading us in prayer. And, and she got quite emotional because we were together again. That we missed that. And there's still things that we miss. And when we were able to sing together back in December, wasn't that great? And then we had to stop again. But we have the joy that comes from being together. And I tell you what, it's going to be great when we can actually sing again very, very soon. I wonder what your experiences are of church that are memorable. I think I'll remember the time that we can sing again in the years to come. But when you look back, what are some moments of church that, that still stick in your mind? I've got a few. I uh, remember a couple of days after September 11, 2001. And it was the Friday night. It had only been a few days after the Twin Towers had had the buildings hit by the planes. And we, we had like a youth church. And there were lots and lots of teenagers who were really, really confused about where was God in September 11. And we heard from God's word and we sang and we, we looked at Psalm 46, God is our strength and refuge. And I still remember that night. It was a, a very significant moment of coming together. I think also of the first sermon that the minister gave at our church about 30 years ago when he first started. And he was speaking, actually, about the, the things that we looked at at Two Chronicles, about how the temple was smashed down and all the things were taken away to, from the precious, precious things were taken away to Babylon. And I remember sitting in the pew and he reads out these verses. It's like, yeah, yeah, more boring history, blah, blah, blah. I'll, I'll stick with it. 
And suddenly I saw it come alive in the scriptures. It was, I, I've never had a moment like that as, as I understood God's word so powerfully. And it was as though I was there and I understand why God did it and what it meant for them. And I can still remember almost where I was seated. Who Rules Really was the, the title of that talk. And I think also the, uh, another church service event was it was the last night of youth group. I had been leading a bunch of teenagers from year 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 and 12 and it was December of the final year. And we got together and we sang and we prayed and we praised God and we heard God's word and it was such an important time. I remember the tears welling up in my eyes saying this is the end of an era and we were together. And it was almost at that moment as though the heavens had opened up and we were in the presence of God in that sense because it was we were together. And yet we knew we weren't going to be together in that way anymore, at least for the moment. I wonder what your moments are as you think back of church services, of gatherings of God's people that were very significant. Well, today we are going to see, in a sense, another slice of heaven. We're going to see a remarkable gathering of God's people. It's what's been considered by some to be the high point of the Old Testament. It's a pretty big call. Let's see if it lives up to it. Because here in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 to 21, we're going to see an event that would have rivaled and perhaps exceeded the opening ceremony of any global sporting event. It's the time when King Solomon opens the doors to the temple and he brings the ark up and God gets into the house. It is a huge moment and the crowds are there and there's shouting and singing and rejoicing. Maybe they even sang Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what we're looking at right here today. But who cares? I mean, it would have been amazing. I'm happy to read a bit of history about other kinds of things, like what was their first Olympic Games like and what was it like when a battle was won and they went into the city and the flags and the horses and yada, 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 just another bit of history. What does it mean to us? Friends, it means a huge amount to us. Because as we understand what's happening here, we get an insight into gathering with Christians. We get to understand a whole lot more about what we are doing right now and the importance of what we're doing right here, right now, and why we do things the way we do, and why we are in fact part of something even bigger and better than that day back a thousand years before Jesus walked on earth. It all begins in 1 Kings chapter 8. Looking first at the first half of verse 1. Solomon then summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the leaders of the ancestral families of the Israelites. Right here, all of the heads of all of God's people all come together. There's almost three different ways of describing them. They're all there and they've come to this center point of God's worship. They've come from way up north of God's people geographically and way down south and east and west. And there they all are at the focal point at the temple. This is what's going to happen. He summons them there. The king summons God's people to be with him in God's place. It's a little bit of a thought that describes what we're doing here as well. We meet at church to meet with our king. We're summoned by our king. We're here to meet with King Jesus. We're not here just to encourage one another or to support one another. There are great community groups that do that. Keep them going. 
but we're not here about each other. We're actually here to meet with Jesus. Uh, if, you know, if you ever get to a church and it, it says, come along here, we are here for you. It's your church for your needs, your... No. Say, hang on a second, are you sure about that? See, the reason we come here is to meet with our king because we've been summoned by our king as the king of God's people summoned them to the temple there. They did it for a special reason. The second half of verse 1 says that they were to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant to the temple from its location in the city of David, known also as Zion. That's their mission, to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from the city of David up the hill, up to the temple mound, and then into the temple itself for the first time. Now, the Ark of the Covenant will feature a lot in today's reading, and it really matters a lot. Don't think of the Ark as in Noah's Ark. It's not like that. It's, a, it's like a box about the size of a sort of a coffee table chest kind of thing. And inside it were two stone tablets. We'll hear more about them in a moment, but they're the ones that had the Ten Commandments written on them. The thing about it was this box signified the very presence of God. Now, God was everywhere. I said that last week as well. But this box, it's kind of like the way you treat this box is the way you treat God. And God is kind of like, the, like a magnifying glass of, of his presence is focused in on that very point there, even though it's sun, the sun shining everywhere, if you get the, the parallel there. God, the way that they treated that box is the way they treated God. And one of the things that they did is they had the altar and they would sacrifice animals on it. And the smell of the smoke, it's funny to think of this, but the smell of the smoke would waft over to the box, to the ark. And we read that in other parts of the Bible that, that God would smell that sacrifice, the burning flesh, and that sacrifice would cool down his anger. He was angry at his people because they deserved it. But he set this system up so that they'd burn stuff on the altar and then that would, they'd cut it up on the altar, they'd burn it, and then the smoke would waft across to that box, to the ark. And in a weird kind of wonderful way, that would cool down God's anger. It's very relational. It's not just taking away the thing that caused the problem. It's actually dealing with his anger. It's a little bit like when you bring along flowers if you've had a fight with someone and they say, oh, okay. The, the, the thing actually signifies your sorry and, and somehow causes that person to not be as angry as they were with you. That's what happens here. The, and the sacrifices cool down God's anger. But the other thing was that they had to treat that box in a special way in that they couldn't just walk up to it and touch it. Uh, there was a time when someone did touch it by accident. We read in the book, in, the, the, um, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen that was carrying the ark stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. And then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. You might think that's a bit over the top. But this is the very presence of God, and he has made it very clear. You, you must treat that box with reverence because it is, you cannot go into the presence of God and just say, yeah, whatever, and just lean on the ark. You can't do that. And to help it all work then, God set up a protective barrier around the ark. It was called the tabernacle. 
Up till now, it had been a tent. Kind of imagine the ark, and then inside, and then it's inside a, a little tent, and then inside a bigger tent, and and that was known as the tabernacle. It was portable. King David gets to Jerusalem. He says, "This is a bit rough." God's out the back in a caravan, and here I am in this fancy temple, a fancy palace that I've made for myself out of cedar. And he says to God, hey, God, about time I made you a decent place to live. And God says, thanks, but not yet. We'll get more to that in a moment. But the point is that now that has happened, and so they need to move the ark from the tent into the temple. It's time. It's what they've been waiting for. When the Lord would be in his holy temple, a permanent dwelling for God amongst his people, in his place, under the rule of his king. And so they come together. Verse 2. All the men of Israel assembled before King Solomon at the annual festival of shelters, which is held in early autumn in the month of Ethanim. All of the temples made, and I think it's right to say that all of the palaces made. The whole complex is finished. They've signed off with the builders, and away you go. Here's the key. And the council's come in and said, "Yeah, okay, here's your certificate. You can occupy it." And then, and when does it happen? It all happens at this time of the festival of shelters. Now, what does that mean? Well, the festival of shelters also got another name called the festival of booths, or festival of tents. It's a funny little festival that God gave his people that reminded them that they spent so much time in tents. You know, God's people spend so much time in tents. It's a little bit, a little bit like Aussies over Christmas, you know, tents everywhere. They, they, God's people just went from one spot to another, tent after tent after tent. And it's sort of, it's ironic, but it seems about right that at the, fair, that the festival of the tent was the time when they didn't have God in a tent anymore. And so they have this big festival and it's time to celebrate the Lord moving out of the tent into a permanent home. It's a bit like when you move out of home and you say, well, I'm going to rent a house somewhere. You're going to rent a house somewhere and you rent there for a while and then the landlord moves you on or you move somewhere else. And then, then finally you say, I think it's time for me to put down roots. I've worked out where I really want to live can't afford it, so I'll go to the suburb a little bit over there on the other side of the railway tracks or whatever it is, but, but I'll buy the place and I'll have it in my name. I'll own it, the great Aussie dream, and I'll put down roots, a permanent building that I own, that I have control for, that nobody can kick me out of, except the bank. But uh, you have that solid place, and that is what is happening here with God. There's something permanent that is happening. This is why it is very, very significant. This is, in a sense, the ultimate housewarming party right here. Because God has now moved into a permanent house. He's moved into a permanent house, and it's a very significant moment. And so now they get ready to move this precious cargo up from the city of David up further to the temple of the Lord. And you can be sure that they're going to handle this ark rather carefully because it didn't work out so well for Uzzah last time. When all the elders of Israel arrived, the priests, they're the ones who're supposed to, they picked up the ark and the priests and the Levites brought the ark of the Lord along with the special tent, the tabernacle, and all the sacred items that had been in it. They brought the lot. It's a hundred years since the ark's been inside the tabernacle. First 70 years, it was in the back of someone's garage. And then for, th- for the next 30 years, it had been put in a special tent, probably not the tabernacle, but just a tent somewhere by David. 
and now it's the time for them to get the actual place to put it. They move it and they, as they do that, they sacrifice a lot of animals. Have a look at verse 5. There before the ark, King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed so many sheep, goats and cattle that no one could keep count. Whoa. Can you imagine the smell? Imagine the sound. Imagine the sight. All those animals, all the blood everywhere. Imagine what it must have been like. You're thinking, how gross. Oh, no way. This is awesome. Why would they do that? Is it because they're going to throw some lamb on the barbie and have a bit of a spit roast? And, you know, No, that's not what it's for. It is there as a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for their sins. And so God's king says, before this is going to happen, before the Lord dwells amongst his people and they can safely engage with him, there's going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be done by the king for the people. And that sacrifice allowed them to be in God's presence. They must never, ever take for granted that they could just walk into the presence of God. Absolutely not. And so they made a couple of sacrifices. No, no, they made a lot of sacrifices. And here's where they went. Verse 6. The priests carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Remember a couple of weeks ago the design of the temple itself? It was a big long room. The back third had a special bit that was called the most holy place. And the other two thirds is the holy place. Anyway, so they carry the ark into the most holy place, which was the back third. And it's there with these huge, big cherubim, these big, huge angels that are you know, um, 15 feet you know, so three or four metres wide and tall. And there's two of them right at the back there. And then they bring the ark into it right there. God lived between the cherubim that were sitting on the ark. That was his throne. And now it's enthroned here inside the most holy place. And we read in verse 7 and 8 that the cherubim spread their wings over the ark, falling a, forming a, a canopy forming a a covering, almost a tent, funny enough, over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the most, uh, seen from the holy place, right? Not the most holy, but it's in the most holy place. The, the, The poles are sticking out into the holy place. But not from, you can't see that from the outside. They're still there to this day. You see, what's worth knowing is that there was a special way that you could safely move the ark. The ark had little rings on the side and you would have these big long poles that would go through it and these big, you know, like jousting sticks kind of thing, you know. Uh, And you held either side and you lifted it up and then you put it down, everybody together on the count of three and down and all of that. And I reckon that if I knew that it was going into the permanent place, what would I do? I'd say, right here, we happy, just a bit to the left. Yep, sweet. Take the poles out and throw them around the back. No worries. But God said to Moses, don't do that. Keep the poles in the ark as it did. But perhaps there's something more to it just even than that. John Woodhouse in his commentary says, the ark and all it represented could still be taken away from a rebellious people as subsequent history would tragically show. 
See, the ark was still portable. It's kind of like keep the wheels on, keep the motor running. It's permanent, but it's still portable. Because if you think God is just like, I'll stay here and, and, and no, you sin, you wreck this place and the ark will go. And that's exactly what happened. We actually need a, a permanent, permanent solution. An ark without poles, which would come in the Lord Jesus himself. Well, what was so important about the ark? Verse 9 Nothing was in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Sinai, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they left the land of Egypt. I said this before, but what's really special about the ark is what's inside it. If you were to lift the lid on it and have a look inside, uh, you would see two stone tablets. And on it, you would look and you'd see the Ten Commandments. There, the words of promise from God. The ark contains God's word of promise. The voice of the Lord is in the ark. And, and its promise, his promise, is his presence. They are the heart of God's relationship with us, his word to us. You have a look at them there and they would say, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of slavery? And then it would go on to say, you shall have no other gods. What we've got here is is a contract. It's a covenant. And it's a covenant of grace. It's all about how God saved them and how they had to live lives of thankfulness before him. I mean, you've probably heard this before, but you say to someone, how do you know that when you die... God will let you into his heaven. And people will often say, well, I reckon I've kept most of the Ten Commandments most of the time. But this completely misunderstands the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not there that you live them out so that God will have mercy on you. Because right at the start, the first, very first sentence is about God having already had mercy It wasn't like God gave them the Ten Commandments and said, if you guys want to get out of Egypt alive, do the Ten Commandments and then I will have mercy on you. No, no, how does it start? It says, I'm the Lord your, I am the Lord your God. And I brought you out of Egypt. It starts with grace. Grace came before works. Sometimes we think, oh, the Old Testament's all about works and the New Testament's all about grace. Uh Uh-uh. God showed his grace when they had nothing to offer. And he showed his love. He kept his promises time and time again. And we see that in those stones right there, those stone tablets. Now, we're not sure about this, but it's quite possible that those two stone tablets both had the full list of the Ten Commandments on it. Sometimes we think, oh, you might have one lot has four and the other one has six or maybe, you know, five and five or something like that. You just couldn't fit them all and so you needed them on two stone things. There's a theory which makes a bit of sense and that is that it's a little bit like a house contract, that you have two contracts and you both sign both documents and one gets to go with the person who sold the house, the other gets the person who bought the house. And it's like that with the Ten Commandments. One is for God to keep and one is for the people to keep. 
So where do you put it so that it's with God and it's with the people? Well, they can go together, can't they? Together in the ark, in the presence of God. We're not 100% sure that's right, but it seems to make sense in the light of the way that they did treaties back then in the ancient Near East. But the point is, right here is God's word in the ark. And the way that they were in the presence of God was because they were in the presence of the word of God. God spoke his promise, and it's the same today. He works by speaking his word. That is why we are spending our time hearing God's word read to us. Why we spend time looking deeply into this word of God. Why? It's because God works through his word. He's a promise-keeping God. And what do you do when someone promises you something? You trust their promise, if they're trustworthy. That's the way it works. And that's the way it worked back then, and it's the way it works now. We come together to hear God's word. And we come together as people who who come to the Lord Jesus, as Calvin would say, who is clothed in his promises. That's what Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. And that's why we come to his word here today. Anyway, the ark gets put in its place and we see this happen. Verse 10 and 11. When the priest came out of the holy place, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord, the whole place with the two rooms. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud. For the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. Massive cloud. It's kind of like when someone burns the toast, but like really, really burns the toast. And it's black, absolutely. Like they, they didn't just burn the toast, they accidentally burn, you know, 10 tires in your living room. Okay, thanks, I get the picture. It's black, it's solid, it's thick, and it's come out of nowhere. Where's it come from? The priests left the room and boom, the cloud, the smoke, the, the wow. This was serious fog. Maybe that's why some churches have smoke machines. Maybe not. But whatever. This fog was was clearly supernatural because that fog was God's presence in that place. God has come down upon it. They could literally, I love that word these days, literally doesn't always literally what it means, but literally, like really literally, they could literally see God's glory. It was right there. God was in his house. Wow. That's a bit like when they had the ark and they'd, they'd follow the cloud. They'd follow God's presence. And then the cloud would go down. they said, right, yeah, we'll pop the ark here. And they set up the tabernacle. And then popped up. Whoop, okay, guys, pack the bags. And off they went. Then finally the ark came into the temple. And it's not just a little cloud. This is a, everything's big. And it's a big smoke. It's a big fog. The big presence of God. And it's the same glory that actually left the temple when God's people rebelled against him. There's a whole theme about that in Ezekiel. Have a look at it sometimes. Very interesting. But there was a time when God's glory came again, which was even better. Better than thick smoke. What was it like? John 1. So the word became flesh, human, and made his home tabernacled among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You think the smoke was wow in the temple? Nothing. 
Because right there as Jesus walked on the earth, we see the, the glory of God in a more glorious way, infinitely more glorious than the massive smoke of the temple. The glory of God right there in that moment. Because like the cloud in the most holy place, Jesus was the glory of God. And if you saw him walking around back then, you would have seen the glory of God right there face to face. And it's interesting to think that when Jesus died, the the temple curtain broke in two. When they had the second temple, they didn't actually build a building, a room at the back. They just separated with a curtain in the second temple. And it tore when Jesus said, it's finished, and he died from top to bottom. That most holy place didn't mean anything anymore. It's just they could put a museum and a cafe in it. It doesn't matter anymore, right? Because the glory of the Lord is Jesus. The great temple is now redundant because Jesus is the presence of God. But back to 1 Kings. Solomon now has a little moment just between him and the Lord as he stands there on the outside of the whole temple. And he prays, O Lord, you have said that you would live in a thick cloud of darkness. Now I have built a glorious temple for you, a temple of glory, a place where you can live forever. Solomon, just between him and God, speaks to the Lord. They might be thinking, I wonder what he said. It's like, like, well, by the book. Here he is, he's speaking to God. And he knows what's happening because he's heard God's voice. He's heard the word of the Lord. What does he say? He says, O Lord, you have said. Blink it and you'll miss it, but he says, O Lord, you have said. He understands what's happening there. It's not like, whoa, is something on fire? Didn't expect any cloud. Whoa, didn't see that coming. It's like he knew exactly what was going to happen. It's almost that Solomon would have thought, okay, what's happening today? We're going to bring the ark up from the city of David. We're going to put it up there in the temple. And what's going to happen? Uh, The Lord has said lots of smoke. All right, I'm ready for it. And he stands there. It's like, you have said it has happened. And that's what makes it extra special. It's extra special because Solomon knew God's word. He knew how God would work in the world. And he knew how he should respond. How much time do people spend trying to work out what's happening in the world? Oh, what's happening in the world? You know, they look at the stars, they look at the planets, they say, oh, what's the god of the gods or the or mother nature or the forces of yada yada or whatever? What, what is happening out there? I'm trying to interpret them all. And they walk around like this, clueless, deaf, cannot hear, cannot see. And yet we have God's word. We don't understand everything, but we understand everything we need to know. And the Lord has revealed this to us, and we are very blessed. And so it's like, oh, we've got the Bible. Yeah, the Bible's useful. Useful? Are you serious? The Bible is the very way in which we know the mind of God who created us and created the universe. And you don't have to say, I wonder what God thinks of me. You know it. It's in God's word. And I wonder whether at the end of time I'm going to be safe or not. You know the answer to that. It's in God's word. You don't have to say, oh, another natural disaster. Didn't see that coming. It's like, really? It's going to happen. There's COVID. COVID COVID-19. Is there going to be COVID-22? I don't know. Buckle up, kids. Here we go. This is life. 
We know this is going to happen. There's always going to be wars and rumours of war. This is what life is like in the end times that we live in. It's not a surprise to us because we've got the word of God. That is why we love the Bible, because we love to know God. And not only can we know him by his word, of course, we know him by his word, his son, the Lord Jesus. Anyway, Solomon has his moment. He spins around and he addresses the crowd. What's he going to say to them? What's the moment of wow as he's there? We read he turns around, the king, the king turns around to the entire community of Israel standing before him and gave this blessing. The original word, nerdy here, the original word for community, when you translate the Old Testament into the Greek language, the word they use there is the same word that's translated church. Likewise, when they got together for the assembly at Mount Zion, at Mount Sinai, that was also seen as being a church. So there you go, a bit nerdy. But they are there. The king of God's people is talking to the church of Israel, standing before him. And he gave this blessing. He's going to give them something very special to hear. I'm going to pick the pace up now. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father, David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have never chosen a city among any of the tribes of Israel as the place to where a temple should be built to honor my name. But I have chosen David to be king over my people Israel. They are blessed. Why? They're blessed because Solomon says the Lord kept his promise. We are blessed by knowing God keeps his promises. That that is what we do when we come here. God did it. Yeah. Is he going to do it? He will. They enjoyed that moment because they know that God is reliable. That's why we come to church, amongst other things. Then Solomon tells them more about the answer to prayer, verses 17 to 19. He said, My father David wanted to build this temple to honour the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord told him, You wanted to build the temple to honour my name, which is a good thing, but you're not the one to do it. One of your own sons will build the temple to honour me. David wanted to build that, but the Lord answered that prayer with a wait. With a wait. Now, sometimes we pray for all sorts of different things and we think, oh, it hasn't happened today, it must be a no. David said, Lord, I really want to make you a nice place to live. And the Lord doesn't say no. It's kind of like, well, yeah, but not, no, not yet. Wait. You won't be around to see it. Maybe one of your sons will, and it'll be awesome. And right there, Solomon, as the clouds there in the temple, he says, This is it. Here we are, right now. The high point of the promises of God, right here, right now. And he says, And now the Lord has fulfilled the promise he made. For I have become king in my father's place. I'm the son. And I now sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised. Just as the Lord promised. I have built this temple to honour the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, and I've prepared a place there for the ark, which contains the covenant that the Lord made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. 
They have done that because they want to honour God's name. They haven't made this temple because they want to just be impressive amongst all of the nations. They don't want to be the. They haven't made this lovely place so that they can enjoy morning tea after church. I love good morning tea places after church, as you know. They haven't done all this so that they can have a. A a friendly environment to come together in the heart of the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've come there for the name of the Lord. All those other good things flow, of course, and we see that, we experience that as we come together. But they've come for the name of the Lord, to honour the name of the Lord. That's what it's all about. God is promising, and he has kept his promise And they honour his name. Honouring the Lord's name is at the heart of our church. To the glory of your name, we say. We hear the word of the Lord and we say, thanks be to God. We honour his name. We pray things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, for his honour. That's what we do. Which means that what we're doing today is more impressive than what was happening back then. Get your head around that. We don't have quite as many dead things. And the smoke, well, we haven't got a smoke machine just yet. Probably won't get one, sorry. But we are here together and it's more special because we are not honouring the glory of the Lord in that building with the smoke. We are honouring the glory of the Lord Jesus. We have seen his glory. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We are participating in the greatest gathering of all. It has been hard for us over the last 51 weeks to be sitting behind screens and not always together. I tell you what, I would so much have wanted to have a combined a combined service of our Saturday night and our Sunday morning congregation and say, let's all pack into the church because if we all come together, we probably fill this place. How good would that be to sing and scream and woohoo? Can't do it still. That's okay. Because we are part of the greatest gathering of all. Because when we are in Christ... We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms with people who were there 3,000 years ago for those who trusted in Jesus, in the King. And this is great comfort to us because when we miss being physically together through lockdowns, quarantines and other things that come from health reasons, we know we are still together participating in the greatest gathering of all, the greatest gathering of eternity because we gather in Christ knowing his promises and we come for the sake of his holy name let me pray loving father we thank you for that great event when you gathered amongst your people we thank you for the greater event when Christ Jesus our Lord your word became flesh and lived amongst us and we saw in him your glory We long for the day when we will see him face to face. But we thank you that we are now part of that gathering. And so we pray that you would sustain us in these difficult times. Help us to believe your promises. Because we know they're true. And we know that everything you have promised is yes in Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.